You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. are in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2 5 through 11 is our text today and if you haven't been with us or if you're new not only do we want to welcome you obviously we're so glad you're here but what we're doing and what we do every Sunday is we're walking our way through the book of Philippians verse by verse chapter by chapter and we're we're going pretty slow and we're just trying to dig in and like squeeze out all that God's word has for us. And so uh, even though the book of Philippians is like four chapters, it's like taking us about six months to get through. So that's just the speed. So if you're like, I can't, then, you know, that's just how, how we usually do it um, here. And so we're gonna be going through six verses today, verses five through 11 of Philippians chapter two. Uh, it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what a gift your word is to us. We do not... um, We don't want to take for granted the fact that each of us in this room are holding a Bible. We know that so many brothers and sisters of ours around the world are not allowed to have this, don't have access to it. And so, God, we want to take this as a gift this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through it by the power of your spirit, that we would grasp the height and the depth of how amazing you are. And in light of that, that we as a people would become like you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we just give you this time. We ask that you'd have your way. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What we're in right now, what the book of Philippians is, is actually a letter. It's a letter written by Paul to a church that he's very fond of, that he helped start some 10 years prior to the writing of this letter. And what he's doing is he's writing them to encourage them to keep growing, to keep going in their walks with Christ. You're doing good, but he's like the coach that is writing, go further, go harder, go longer. God has so much in store for you. So many don't know Christ. And so he exhorts them in all these really powerful, profound ways for me to live as Christ and to die as gain and And so forth. He goes in and he's encouraging them. And if there was a few main themes in the book of Philippians, which we've seen thus far and which we'll continue to see, is stuff like joy in the midst of suffering. To rejoice always in the midst of everything that's going on. To find the secret of contentment being in Jesus Christ. 
It's also the unity of the body of Christ. We've heard this theme quite a bit, that as believers, we're to be unified of one mind and one accord. And also, after these broad, uh, you know, 30,000 foot looks on what the church is to be like, he nails down into the conduct of the Christian. How are we supposed to look day in and day out with our speech, with our attitude, with our mindset? And in this letter that we broke into chapters, there's no chapters in Paul's written letter, but we just broke it up and we put verses to it to study it. But in the midst of this letter, we're actually in this little section, and it started last chapter, chapter 1, verse 27. And Paul has turned a gear, and he's, and he's gone from 30,000 feet, so to speak, of these broad themes, and he goes, well, this is what your conduct should be. This is what life as a believer should be. This is how you could speak. This is how you should think of people. This is how you should act. This is what you should be like. And so Paul's writing this, he's talking about interpersonal relationships, and then in our sections today, he, he, he begins and he, and, he, and he starts off with this really rich, theologically deep statement about Christ. But what's interesting when I was studying is I realized that this section that we famously know that a lot of us, when we're reading this, are like, oh, I've heard this, or I've studied this before, was actually a hymn in the early church. It was something that was, that was sung, that was rehearsed, that people knew just as much as a doxology or, or a Christmas song that we might know. It was something that the early church would say and sing often. And so what Paul was doing here was it was reminding this group of believers in the city of Philippi of their heritage as Christians. These very traditional things they would do, they would sing this in a very traditional way, they would do it often. And many of us know the danger of doing something in repetition sometimes. When something becomes repetitious, And a tradition, it can in some ways lose its validity or its potency in our lives when we do it over and over. And maybe we don't really understand the gravity of it. And so what Paul is trying to do as he's talking about conduct, he reminds them of the song that they always sing. The hymn that they always chant. And he's trying to connect their head to their heart. The theology that they think about, what they, what they believe true of God. He's trying to connect their theology to their life. And that's what he's trying to help us do today. If you believe this about who God is, then this is what it should mean for you in your church, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at your workplace. And he's doing this to the believers gathered together in the city of Philippi. But as we know, God's word is for us today as well. And so this is God's word for us today on connecting what we believe true about God to our life. Make sense? And there's really three, there's three parts to it. One is what we're to do. Paul in verse five, he talks about what we're to do. Then there's who already did it perfectly. Spoiler, Jesus. And then lastly, who deserves the credit? Also, also, spoiler, Jesus. But the first thing that Paul brings up in verse 5 this morning, he says this. Speaking of Christians in the church, us. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Different translations would say it a bit different. Some would say, have the same attitude of Christ or have the same mind as Christ. Verse 5 is Paul's main point to this section. This is his main point, especially in the context of Christian conduct. Last week, we saw unity and, and humility with one another. Paul is making every effort he can to drive home this point. You need to be like Jesus. As the church, as Christians, we need to be like Jesus. And for application's sake, or if you're going to wonder what the end of this message is going to be like, we're going to come back to verse 5 again. It's because that's Paul's point. Be like, in the same way, with one another, be like Christ. Have the same mindset. Have the same attitude. Be like Jesus. And so he talks about Jesus as our perfect example. If we're supposed to be like someone, we should figure out what that person's like, right? It would only make sense. That would only make logical sense. And Jesus is the example that we as Christians are to follow. Like, by definition, Christians are little Christs. We're to, we're, to, we're to bear his image. We're to be like him. Even disciple, in the wordage, disciple is more like apprentice. It's follower and it's apprentice. An apprentice, what does apprentice do? Apprentice studies a master craftsman. Like if, when I think of an apprentice, I think of like, like someone that is, is learning how to do custom cabinetry or woodworking, and you apprentice someone that is so good at what they do, they've been doing it a long time, and you try to model them. You try to do that. You try to do what they do because they're good at it. As Christians, by nature, as followers, as disciples, we're to apprentice Jesus. He's our teacher, the one that we're to follow. And what Paul does here is he goes into this really rich section in verses six through eight describing Christ. And it's really important that we like dissect and understand and grasp the magnitude of what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ or we'll just miss it. We'll miss the significance. And so what I'm gonna do is I just wanna walk through these three verses and this might be more technical than normal, but I wanna break down a little bit of the vocabulary and the original meaning of what Paul is saying here. And so verse six, it says, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This idea here of very nature, or some translations would say in the form of God, describes Jesus' like pre-incarnate existence. We, we, it's reminding us that Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger. That's not when Jesus was created, and that's when he was born in human form, but he's always been God. When it says here, being in the very nature of God, what that means is that Jesus is fully God with no lacking, no deficiency, no difference. Paul, in the book of Colossians, uh, very clearly points this out in Colossians 2.9. New American Standard says it this way. For in him, speaking of Christ, 
all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. The New Living Translation of the same verse says it this way, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Paul is reminding us of a very important theological point that we need to believe in is that Jesus is God. William Barclay would say it this way. He said, in the original Greek, the verb here describes that which a man is in his very essence and which cannot be changed. It describes the part of a man which in any circumstances remain the same. His point is, even in the original Greek, the verb there used is an unchangeable essence nature that Jesus Christ is God. He's fully been God and he will always be. This is very different than what many people believe. Jesus was not just a mere prophet or a moral teacher. He was God. We believe that. That is a fundamental, important truth as Christians that we stand upon that makes us different than many other religions. To even bring more substance of that, a very, very important one is John chapter one, verses one and verses 14, to, to, to bring this all together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, verse one. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter one, verses one through 14, makes a clear cut case that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's God incarnate in flesh. Jesus Christ is fully God in the flesh. And then it says that this equality of God or, or to be equal with God, it says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This idea here, it wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He had that. But he chose not to cling to it. See, Jesus' divine nature wasn't something that he had to seek or acquire. It's something that he always has had. But Jesus was willing to give up his rights, his God right deity and become and humble himself to a man. Fully God, fully able to do everything, fully powerful, all, all authority, all knowing, all powerful. But he was willing to let go of some of those privileges of deity to become a man. In verse seven, it says, rather, Christ, God in the flesh, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So it says here that, that, that Christ made himself nothing or emptied himself. If your translation, the more common, well-known translation says emptied himself. And this is from the, the, the original Greek that came from the idea of a self-emptying. And we gotta be careful of like 
what we're saying here, that Jesus emptied himself. We've got to be clear like what that means. But Paul is telling us plainly in the following verses that Jesus didn't empty himself of his deity. Jesus didn't empty himself like of his godness, so to speak. He didn't become less God or lesser than, or he had to give up some, some power or some rule or some authority. He didn't empty himself of deity in any way, but instead he added humanity to his nature. Do you understand this? He's fully God. But when he was born in a manger, as we celebrate this Advent season, humanity was added to his nature. He didn't renounce the rights of deity, but he, for, he gave them up for a while. He became human. He became flesh. And it says that taking the form of a bondservant, or in other words, he took on the very nature of a servant, and this describes how Jesus emptied himself. Just by the nature of this idea of bondservant, it's not that, again, it's not that Jesus emptied himself of deity or any of his attributes or his equality with God, but he emptied himself into the form of a bondservant in the form of man. A bondservant is the idea that you're, you're owned by someone else and you're in submission to that person and you obey your master at all costs and you count the costs in order to serve your master. And what Jesus did is he, he left heaven, he came to earth, God in the flesh, he gave up his rights of deity to become a bondservant and so Jesus is known as the suffering servant because he came humbly and that on a donkey. Remember the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, not the conquering king, but humbly on a donkey, a suffering servant on going to the cross. The book of Mark that we just studied, Mark 10, 45 says famously, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what God did for us. He gave up his rights. He humbled himself. He became a man and he suffered greatly for our sake. And Paul says in verse eight, he says that he, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself when he became obedient to the Father. And this was something that Jesus could only experience by coming down from the throne of heaven and becoming a man. He was obedient to his Father's will for doing this. He humbled himself. He was born in a manger. He became a man. He was mocked unto the point of death. I mean, I know that we don't say this and think about it a lot, but can you think of all the hardships and all the stuff that you kind of have to go with growing up if you're God and you have to deal with it? Like, think about it. You're born in a manger. That is a lowly, dirty place. You're God. You're born in a manger. That alone is unbelievable. But he's born into kind of a weird family situation, the virgin birth. People are asking questions like, who's that baby from, Joseph? Right, that it alone, like culturally, socially, was not accepted. 
Then he's born into like a carpenter's family and he grows up learning the trade as a carpenter, which was not like a glorious, glamorous job. Then for like 30 years, like, I mean, he's getting like disciplined by Mary and stuff. His diapers are getting changed. He doesn't have diapers, but you know what I mean. Like he's a full-on kid and a middle schooler and a high schooler. And then all of a sudden at 30 years old, Jesus becomes into his public ministry and he dies at the age of 33. But he had to endure all of that for our sake. Being God, not having to, not needing to, not deserving to, but choosing to for our sake. I mean, can you imagine? For those of us that are parents, we say this all the time, we believe it and I believe us. We would do anything, right, for our son or our daughter. For our kids, we'll do anything for them. People do. People do insane things for their kids. Rightfully so. But can you imagine that the God of the universe would humble himself in a way to a people that actually hated him, right? The fundamental part of scripture that we know is that while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Not that like we wanted him and loved him while we were enemies of God. God said, I want you that bad. I'm sending you my son. Christ humbling himself for 33 years and enduring all of that to get us. This is what Paul is talking about here. This is what Paul is talking about here. Jesus is utterly amazing. You cannot comprehend how good he is to us. I mean, think about it. It's one thing to love someone for a short time. It's actually not that hard to do that. It's another thing to love someone for a long time and through a lot of pain when you don't have to. That's what Jesus did for us. And he did it unto death. And so Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of the whole world's praise. That's why in verses 9 through 11 of our text today, Paul says, therefore, what's coming next, it's because of what Jesus did. Therefore, God exalted Christ to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of what Christ has done, like for all of humanity, and you got to think about humanity for a second. It's every face. It's every son. It's every daughter. It's every mother. It's every father of every tongue and every tribe and every nation that have ever existed. God did this for. And so God bestowed upon Jesus the worth that deserves the worship of the whole world. Because he's worthy and deserving. That's why we spend such a bulk of our Sunday gathering worshiping because he's worthy of our praise, amen? And he's worthy of our praise for all of eternity. He's that worthy that we would bow before him and that we would worship him for saving us and redeeming us 
and loving us the way that he has done. He's deserving of all our allegiance and our love and our praise and our worship. Amen? Okay, so in light of that, this is the picture Paul has been painting. And he's telling them, you've been singing this like every day. You say this all the time. This is what that actually means. So then back to verse 5. Be like this man Jesus, this God-man. If you take that all in and you look at your life compared to Jesus, if you're anything like me, I would say the chasm is far too wide. Can't be done. I cannot become like the person you just talked about. For those of you guys that are like 80s-ish movie people, Indiana Jones, anybody? Please, like, please be excited about Indiana Jones, okay? So the last one, well, I don't really count these new ones, but the last one, the last crusade, right? Him and Sean Connery's dad, they go to find the Holy Grail, and they're almost at the Holy Grail, and like the famous scene at the end is that there's like this huge chasm, right? Remember? Huh? Got me? And it looks like you can't, and it's like impossible, and you're like, we almost made it, but there's no way. And then they throw the pebbles and like, oh, there it is, right? Okay, got to watch the movie. I'm doing like 80s movies. I did Goonies before, Indiana Jones. Like, this is where I'm at, guys. So new movies. I have two kids. I don't watch movies really anymore. So, um, but here's the deal. Sometimes when we think about our lives compared to Christ, it can be like that chasm that we think it's impossible to get to where you want us to be. Paul, you're saying to me that I need to be like Jesus? You just told me how awesome Jesus was? Can't do it. Sometimes we may think this way, but I want to encourage us today that there is a way through the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in us, it can be done. It can be done. Recently, um, I kind of got bamboozled into running a half marathon. It's kind of a long story, but I committed to run this thing not knowing I committed to run this thing. Uh, it's a true story. And here's what you need to know. I, end, I ended up running it like two weeks ago. It's, uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But here's what you need to know. I don't run. I haven't run farther than a mile in my whole life. I, I've been active. I've sports, but long distance, I'm, I, when I see you running, you're talking about running, I'm like, why would you do that? You can't convince me. There's no argument that you can tell me why you should run. Even like at like five, six years old, playing soccer, I quit halfway through the season. This sport, I can't believe this sport. Too much running. So you have to understand me running a half marathon, like this is like a chasm that cannot be crossed. This is, this is like something you can't do. It's impossible. But over the last six months, been training, running really hard, ended up finishing it. Super, like, it's a huge deal. No, no you don't really, don't, I mean, it's not, it's not why I'm doing this. There's a point to it. There's the point. But here's the deal. <clears throat> Change, like, when we, when we think about what Paul's saying, in the same way, it can look very similar. So I want to leave us with three, three application points to, to how to do this. So how to be more like Jesus, like the way Paul says. One is change comes from choosing to follow Christ. It's a choice at first, which means that we need to choose 
to want to be like Christ. Like we need to choose in our lives if we're going to follow Jesus or not. Jesus actually said that of his disciples. If you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Like that's how, to, that's how you do it. You need to choose to want to be like Jesus. And so following Jesus can't just be like an emotional one-off thing. It, it just can't. It can't be like a high and then you're like, I want to do it. In the same way, I had to like commit to running this half marathon. There, there was no emotion. There was bad emotion. There was not like, I'm excited to do this. There was nothing motivating me other than I told someone unwilling me, I didn't know this, I told them I would run it, and so I committed to keep my word and I had to do it. And I had to choose to do it. I had to fight every emotion in me to want to not run. No, I'm serious. Like even right now, people are like, you like running? I'm like, no, I don't like running. But I, I got it when, 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 when I finally, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do this again. Maybe don't hold, I mean, yeah, I'll hold me to it. I'm gonna do it again. <clears throat> the, de- this, excuse me, the decision to follow Jesus and become like him is that kind of choice. Like, let's be honest. This is the root of it. If you're not really set, uh, if you're not really like wanting what you're going to do, you're not gonna do it. Like, you're just not. There's not enough time for it. You, you're gonna choose what you want to do. I know that, Work, you're like, I don't choose that, but I'm like, I know we have to work though, so you just got to pick some. But you are going to spend your time choosing what you want to do and choosing who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow Christ or someone or something else? Or in many cases, we just choose the default self. We're going to do what's best for us, we're going to follow us, we're going to follow what we want to do, what makes us happy, what makes us feel good, instead of, no, I'm going to follow Christ because I want to be like Christ. Also, Not only is it a choice, but also change to become like Jesus comes in community. It comes to get, we cannot, nor we were designed to do this alone. God made it so that we could grow in Christ together. That's why so many times through scripture, it talks about iron, sharpening iron, or correcting each other, or encouraging each other, or praying for one another. We're supposed to do this together. We're supposed to become like Jesus together and help each other grow like Jesus together. My problem in life, honestly, when it comes to my spiritual walk and just stuff in general, isn't necessarily that I'm doing all this bad stuff like sin, even though, you know, and I need to be corrected when I I am because I'm not free of sin by any means. But my issue is to just keep on going, like to keep on doing that thing or keep on following Jesus in the way that I need to or should or want to. Like running, it all comes back to this race, I'm telling you. If I didn't have people like my wonderful wife, like every day when I'm like telling her I don't wanna do this, saying, you gotta do this, and then my buddies, Christian, where are you? He left, where is he? This is the moment I call him out and he's gone. Kaimana. Right there, buddy. And David, I think he's with the kids, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. These guys ran with me. And if it wasn't for my wife and these guys, if I didn't have really good people surrounding me, there is no way on the planet I would have done this thing. 
Even though I chose, even though I wanted to, even though I told someone my word, if I didn't have people going like, you got to do this thing, you got to keep going, I wouldn't have done it. Even during the race, the only way I got through the race is I told Christian, hey, Christian, you just run, you keep the pace, I'll just follow you. I couldn't even look around. I couldn't do anything. I just followed Christian. And he got me through way faster than I wanted. Almost killed me. (laughs) Seriously. During the race, I said, you know what? I'm not going to tell Christian to slow down. I won't. But he's like, yeah, you did. I'm like, no, I didn't. He's like, well, you said everything else but those words. (laughs) But I didn't say slow down. I'm like, hey, man, I'm really tired. I don't know if I can do this. But I needed that. I needed people cheering me on and praying for me and like being there. And in the same way, like this is how God designed us. We have to have people in our life like this that are like saying, let's go. Like, come on. Like, I'm so glad that I have people in my life like this because that's how I've flourished. I would absolutely not be up here. Not even, I wouldn't be in the church. I would not be in the church. I I, I promise you that. If it wasn't for people like calling me and texting and like saying, come on, let's go. We need that in order to grow into the likeness of Christ. And ultimately, and most importantly, change comes by the spirit of God. Unlike running, instead of it being like my sheer willpower to try to do this race, we actually need to do the opposite. We actually need to give up and surrender. And instead of trying harder to be a better person, to be nicer and less mean and blah, 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 instead of trying harder and trying to manufacture change in us, we actually need to just surrender and be desperate for Christ knowing that apart from me, we can do nothing. Like we actually need to give up and say, okay, I know that my life is no longer my own. It's hidden with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because the truth is, is that Christ's spirit ultimately is the thing that does the work. We, We can water, we can plant, we can help foster that, but God is the one that's gonna change us into his image. He does all the heart work. But I will tell you this. We can help or hinder the growth in our life. We can help or hinder it. We can can help foster an environment where God does more growth or we can stunt growth. It's the same thing like you can stoke a fire or you can snuff it out by the amount of oxygen that you give to that fire. Like our billows, you use that to blow air into a fire to make it bigger. Or obviously, if you cover it with anything, you put too much kindling on the fire you're building, the fire will go out. We in our lives can come before God, humbly surrendering, wanting, choosing, praying, God, make me more like you. And you will see the growth chart in you becoming like Jesus go off the charts. But what gets in the way is us. Us hindering it. No, I don't want you to do that. Not now. I don't want to give that up. No, no, it's not all about you. It's about me too. Right? We're the ones that can either hinder or help the growth that God wants to do in us. Amen? And I'll end with this. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. Meaning, 
For me, it was like the back of Christian. That was the prize. <laughs> Just follow him. Don't stop. But with Christ, the, you know, the goal is not merely to be more holy or not merely to be a better person. Our goal is to get more of Jesus. Right, to experience him, to honor him, to enjoy him, to get back to what he designed us to be. And hear this. In his presence, we become like him. When we're in his presence, when we're in his word, when we're worshiping, when we're surrendering, when we're asking God to come, like when we're surrounding ourselves and asking the presence of God to change us, we will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Hebrews 12, 1 and 3 gives us a good charge this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, uh, excuse me, at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one that we follow, that you have run the race perfectly. You did it for us unto death to save us so that you could be with us. And God, in light of all that we've seen we ask that you would continue to transform us to have the same mindset and attitude of Christ Jesus that was willing to obey the Father at all costs, that would say in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, would you do that internal transforming change in us we want to surrender right now. We want to give up our rights. We want to give up selfishness. We want to give up pride. We want to just give up living for ourselves and ask that you would have your way, Jesus. We don't just want this group in our lives to be like, like a social group that meets, that makes us feel better. We want to be disciples and apprentices of Jesus Christ, and we want to become like him as Christians. And so God, God, would you do that? We want to experience your presence. We want to, your Holy Spirit to make us into your image. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.